Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning, Pastor John. I called it right. Uh, I really did. I, um, I knew it was Labor Day weekend, and I knew we'd be more full today than usual. And we are. Yeah. Praise the Lord. So, so you're uh, appropriately applauding yourselves for being here. I've had a thought, and, and, and the reason I uh, mention that it's appropriate is that I think there needs to be a reformation of worship. What does he mean? We've got all the cool songs now. I'm not talking about songs. I'm talking about people genuinely being worshipers of God, you know, which means I seek out the place to worship and honor God and give him attention and uh, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or what other hobbies they have going on on Sunday or whatever. Anyway, I see another sermon in that, so I better shut up now. <laughs> Y'all glad to be here? Mostly, I hope. Amen. Um, so this is a unique... Uh, I, I'm going to need a few minutes just to introduce what I'm trying to say. Something hit me. And um, one of my... I, I am a fan of Star Trek... We have some cool people in the room. Um, and one of my favorite ones is after Spock gets resurrected. For those of you who don't know, you just need to get out more and check things out. But uh, Spock comes back to life, and he's going back, even though he doesn't have to, to testify on behalf of the crew of the Enterprise to keep them out of jail. Because they had to steal a ship and destroy another, a few little problems. And his mother's talking to him, who is a human mother. He, he's a, a, what is he? A Vulcan. Live long and prosper. He's half Vulcan. Anyway, here's the point. She says, why are you going back? Or her father says, I can't remember now. I'm going back to bear witness, to bear testimony. Why? Why would you do that? Because I was there. And so this morning, I'm here to bear testimony. Because I've been there on some of what I want to speak about today. I want to bear witness to the God that we've been singing about. And uh, I believe we entered into some worship this morning. And... and uh, pray that we would continue, because even as I preach, Lord, I'm hoping that this is a gift of worship to you, and the responses of your people would be worship as well. We ask for help today in Jesus' name. Amen. So my title today is Encounter 120, and I purposely left it enigmatic, but all you clever people figured it out already. Because it says Acts chapter 2, so if you haven't figured it out, you didn't read the passage. Or actually, no, you might have missed it because it's in the chapter before. Yes. So anyway, here it is. And the title kind of sounds like the comedian adventure, uh, uh, convention. Do you all know about the comedian adventure, uh, convention? I'm having a little trouble with my mouth, so pray for me here. <laughs> Got issues. The Comedian Convention. Now, my staff knows this, so don't spoil it. Um, 
a group of comedians used to meet every year to encourage and make each other laugh. And uh, they knew all of the jokes that everybody tells. And so they just gave them numbers. So comedian Mike Hopper got up and said, number 17, and everybody roared. <laughs> then Randy got up, and he told, number 22, and everybody's laughing, rolling on the floor. Then Hawko got up and said, number 15. Nobody laughed. Everybody looked at each other. What's the problem? One of the guys says, he never could tell a joke. <laughs> So, ba-boom, boom. My daughter's up here. Ba-boom, boom. A few weeks ago in prayer meeting, I was provoked. I'll explain why a little later on, but it moved on me in such a way that I thought immediately about what the next message needed to be. We've been talking about encounters in the book of Acts, and the hugest encounter involves a person. And so if you have your note paper there, you'll want to fill in if you're a note taker. And uh, you know who the person is already, I'm sure. And I thought, how did we miss this signal encounter? It's so obvious. And I, uh, I wanted to risk speaking on this for a number of reasons. One is I'm running out of Sundays. And um, Dr. Ashley said, maybe before you're done, you should uh, preach your greatest hit series. And I thought to myself, I'm not sure I have any hits. Sermons, you know. Well, there's a couple that I like and I remember that stood out that had effects maybe, and I might share all one or two of those. But this is a subject that is one of my favorites, and I don't even want to use the word because I know what people do. Oh, he's talking about that, and they check out. And, uh, you know, some of us are better at checking out than others, right? <laughs> yes, Pastor John. You haven't heard that in a long time. So let's talk about the person. Allow me to set the stage. You remember Jesus died, was buried, rose again. That was quite an event. And the disciples were still hanging out. And we read about them in Acts chapter 1, uh, actually Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read about them in a few minutes, the people who were gathering together. And the set, the stage is that people were in prayer when what we're reading was about to happen. You know the story. You've read it or you've heard it without a doubt. We relegate it to kind of odd churches when you're from a Baptist or conservative route. But you know what happened. The Holy Spirit came. And tongues of fire manifested over people's heads. Now, that would get your attention this morning, wouldn't you? I came prepared just to help us out a little bit. I mean, I thought I could stand and just do this, you know, and whoa, the Holy Spirit. No, not at all. And people began to speak in other languages that people from out of town could understand, and everybody's listening. The crowd, a crowd from outside heard the sound of the rushing wind and ran into the building. Eventually, Peter is preaching. And here's what happens. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 21, 
A little after the big excitement, Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words, because people were mocking what was going on. That never happens. Oh, man, in our culture, we are all weirdos, right? You believe in a living God? Really? I believe in science. I don't believe in God. You haven't gotten out enough. Okay. Anyway, there it is. For it is only, the, they're not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken. This is that. This is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind. Notice how quiet it just got. Next verse. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, who are they? Both men and women. I, men and women? Radicals. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And let's hold it right there for just a second. This is that, what Joel talked about. The Holy Spirit, the second, the third person, I, I do know math enough, the third person of the triune Godhead was going to be imparted to the people of God. A personal encounter with God Almighty, who would indwell his people. And then there's an addendum, because when prophets prophesied in the Old Testament, you do know this principle, I hope. You have a mountain peak. And then you have another mountain peak, and the prophet's looking this way. He sees stuff on this mountain peak, and he sees it on the next mountain peak, but he doesn't see what's going on in the valley in between. And so that's why you have the next line. Let's go up to the next verse, guys. Thank you. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. Well, maybe that is happening now in California. Anyway. The, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds. Whew. Amen. Lift your voice. It's the year of jubilee. Out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Now, that's what I call preaching participation. I like that. I was listening to that up in my house on Howland Hill in Broome County years ago. And when they do that song on the album, the song sounds like it ends. And all of a sudden, Robin Mark starts singing, Behold, he comes. I lost it. Because he is coming. But there's another way in which he comes out of Zion. This is Zion, brothers and sisters. The dwelling place of God, you get it? It's symbolic in the Old Testament of who we are. And out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Okay, so now I'm preaching. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's been some talk and emphasis, maybe for the, a renewed stirring about, we want to bear fruit. We want to see people come to know Jesus. Some people don't because it'll mess up their little party. But I'm talking to disciples today, if I may. 
those who are in the clan of disciples, the little flock, if you will. And if we want to see that happen, we need to have an encounter with this person who we're talking about this morning. Now, let me just mention a couple of things. We are more often like the men that Paul met in the book of Acts who said to him, we never heard as much that there was such a thing as a whole. What's a Holy Spirit? How real is he in my life? Do I sense his leading? Does he speak to me? And I'm getting an amen. Praise the Lord. Preach it, sister. It's a brother. It's a brother, isn't it? That's right. We're more like that. Sometimes we look at the book of Acts, and because it's so extraordinary, and it is, it's exceptional in a number of ways, right? I mean, the tongues of fire, the mighty rushing wind, which, by the way, was heard by outsiders. Uh, we don't expect that very often. Do you think it ever happens? Oh, man. Uh, when I used to lead the pastor's prayer group for revival up in Binghamton, we used to uh, occasionally get our hands on uh, some video series of recent workings of the Spirit. One great story in Guatemala, but there was another one in, it must have been about the 80s, up in um, um, Eskimo country. The, the Inuit Indians, there was a town very oppressed with abuse in the families and all kinds of things. They were a mess. And there was a small cluster, a church there that were praying for God to help them. And one day, and here, this, is, this is a killer, man. Somebody in the building had left the sound system and recording on. And all of a sudden, this screaming wind sound filled the building. I heard it. I heard it audibly in the video. And men and men were crying out to God and screaming, burning, burning. There was a burning sensation. And the sound was audible to the human ear. And that place got revived and healing began in that very broken village. You don't hear a lot about that, do you? The news isn't going to tell you about that. But it happened. So his arm is not cut off. God isn't dead. I always remember Bill Hybels before his fall. I always think about him saying, what's the matter? Has the Holy Spirit lost his stuff or something? This is that, the gift of the Holy Spirit given to the body of Christ. Now, I need to park on something for just a moment. Uh, I'm, you have to help me, Ryan, that people in television land can see what I'm doing. How many of you are acquainted with the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person? We pray, Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would do its thing. Its thing? His thing? He's a person. Not a person like us, but he's a person. And because he's a person, he is like us in that he has intellect, will, and emotions. He has feelings. Did you know that? And uh, we saw in our series that a certain character named Ananias sinned big time because he, he lied to the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, you've not lied to, to man. You're messing with God here. Bye-bye. You don't remember? Yeah, he went home to Jesus. Enough. So there's two words in the scripture about relating to the Holy Spirit. One is 
Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And another one is, don't quench the Holy Spirit. So I thought, I better illustrate this, because I'm not sure. How much teaching have you ever had on that? Okay. If I can make this work, because I am technologically challenged, you know. Here we go. That's a fire. (laughs) It's a lit candle, right? So, how do I quench it? I can snuff it. (laughs) So, here's the thing. I quench the spirit when he has ignited something. If he has ignited something, the spirit is stirring. He's convicting us. He's speaking to us. He's moving. He's telling us to go out and serve our community or something like that. And so, oh, don't take that so seriously. I I think, don't worry about that. Snuffed out. That's how you quench the spirit. I've seen it happen. I've seen people under conviction. They know that there's junk in their life. They need to get right with God. And people come up and pat them on the Oh, it's okay, brother. We're all sinners. We're all broke. It's not a problem. And all of a sudden, <laughs> and then I never saw them deal with it again. They stayed on their wrecked, off-track path indefinitely. Now, the difference between quenching and grieving is like this. Here's a church. The Holy Spirit's listening to his people pray. And he's like, oh, 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 they're getting warm. Oh, oh, they're getting warm. Oh, 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 they changed their mind. There's no ignition. If there's no ignition, he's grieved. He has to back off. Okay? Quenching versus grieving. Does that make sense? Okay. I believe the Spirit's been stirring for eight years, trying to speak into our lives, and we keep getting distracted with all our toys and our little stupid idols. I don't know how else to put it. There's a reason John, the apostle of love, writes in his little book, Little Children, Guard Yourself from Idols. As if they didn't know who God was. The Christians didn't know who the true God was. Why? Because the world's full of idols. And we make all kinds of things into idols. So anyway, that's a little, that was a sidebar. That was free, no charge. The rest you have to pay for. Okay. So, grieving versus quenching. What shall we do? Remember what happened. The next verse I want to look at is Acts 2.37. At the end of Peter's message, all of the people who are listening, we find out, if we could put that verse up. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what, sh- what do I have to do? What do I have? What? What? Yikes, we're in trouble. That's their reaction. We're in trouble. What do we have to do? 3,000 souls come into the kingdom in that one day. That's a little unusual. That, was, that noise was unusual, too. Okay. But that's a little unusual, granted. But things like that do happen, especially when the spirit moves in a powerful way. What shall we do? 
The Holy Spirit is exercising his influence, his power on these people. And they wake up to something. And we've talked about this on an occasion. Uh, I've quoted from Richard Lovelace's book, um, An Evangelical Theology of Renewal, um, The Dynamics of Spiritual Life, that there are preconditions to renewal. Getting people ready for the gospel. I'm thinking about us going out and sharing Something has to happen. The Spirit has to get us ready with a prep, for a preparation, a preparation of our soul, if you will, for hearing the gospel. So you have a, a, a fill-in place on your, in your notes, if I can find it. Yes. G and Q. That's not Gentleman's Quarterly by any means. G and Q. The first one is an awareness of the holiness of God. Okay, an awareness of the holiness of God. It wasn't G and Q, it was H and, uh, H and S, thank you. I have to be on the right verse. If I could just follow my notes, I told you I'm challenged. Awareness of the holiness of God and awareness of the depth of sin. Let me, re- let me replay this for you. An awareness of the holiness of God, an awareness of his justice and his love. An awareness of the depth of sin in my life as well as all around me. Is there sin all around us? Anybody want to answer that? You think? It's, a, it's like, and, but the problem we have too often is we look out and, oh, there's those terrible people. And don't see where we're complicit, if you will. In fact, in our culture today, what sin? What is sin? We've redefined everything. Nothing is a sin anymore. I mean, you know, contributing to global warming is your most wicked sin today. And immorality, we don't even know what we're talking about when we speak about immorality. What are you talking about? What what do you mean? It's not even on the radar. You know what? I can't bash your head in about it, there's a person who can wake you up. One of our closest friends, uh, way back when I was up north, uh, he, he went into ministry. I participated in his ordination. His testimony was, in the middle of fornicating, he got born again. Yes, you heard that right. If he was here today, he would tell you that's exactly what happened. In the middle of it, conviction, he realized what I'm doing. My goodness, and he got converted. And believe me, he stopped fornicating. A lot of supposed converts don't seem to get that. Okay, so now I'm really meddling, right? An awareness of the holiness of God and an awareness of the depth of sin. I remember when I was converted... I was attracted to the glory of God. To me, it was suddenly I saw what we've been singing about. There's a God. He's got it all right. We've got it all wrong. And I wanted to know everything I could. And then later on, the Holy Spirit started jacking me up. You got a lot of dirt in your life. Couldn't get away from it. Let me read something from Tozer. And uh, the second half of it will go up when when I get to it. And uh, by the way, our, our elders did a great job the last few weeks, right? And, and one of the things I heard raving about was once Gene started putting Tozer on the, on the screen, how could he lose? 
Woe is me, for I am undone. Before I get there, listen to this. This is Tozer from Knowledge of the Holy. The moral shock suffered by us through our mighty break with the high will of heaven. Do you hear that? The moral shock suffered by us through our mighty break with the high will of heaven has left us all with a permanent trauma affecting every part of our nature. There is a disease both in ourselves and in our environment. Everybody with me? Then he goes, woe is me, for I am undone. Expresses the feeling of every man and woman who has discovered himself or herself under their disguises and has been confronted with an inward sight of the holy whiteness that is God. That has nothing to do with race. Talking about purity. Such an experience cannot but be emotionally violent. I don't like this kind of preaching. When I am aware of God's holiness and my brokenness and the fact that I don't have a right to even lift my eyes to heaven, then I'm ready for the gospel to become what I love to quote from Dr. Haddon Robinson, stark, raving reality. The four elements that he lists of the gospel are your justification becomes real. I know I'm accepted. I don't deserve it, but I'm accepted. Isn't that awesome? Number two, I am sanctified. I am not only able to recognize sin, I can stop it. I don't win all the time, but I can start stopping it. But I got to know what it is. I think we're happy not to know what it is, aren't we, sometimes? I am not alone. I have this wonderful person, the Holy Spirit, active in me. Wow! And lastly, there's another character that's active. His name is Satan. And he becomes real to me as well. And I learn how to put my dukes up and tell him to back off. Victory and spiritual conflict. Those five, four things. Three, sir. Five things. Those four things. <laughs> Can I have some more coffee? Anyway. Those four things become stark, raving reality. And I'm going to give you a little hint where I'm going. I'm sure nothing that I've said so far has mattered a whole lot. But where I'm going is, there are five secondary results that he lists. One of them is going out into mission. But the other one is actual dependence on the Spirit in prayer both as individuals and as a church. I didn't put Steve Batulis up to his comment this morning during announcements. I did not. I thought, ooh, ooh. Preach it, brother. Do we really have a passion for people to come to know Jesus? Because if we do, we're going to have to ask God to go in front of us and make the lights come on. You're not going to do it. As clever and as wonderful as a defender of the gospel as you might be, it has to be a work of the Spirit. So here's the principle. We're talking about real prayer, not lay me down to sleep prayers. Next passage of Scripture puts us back in the context where I got my title. You're going to figure it out if you haven't already. The disciples, after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. He says, go wait in Jerusalem until something really cool happens. 
He didn't put it that way. Okay, I get it. I would have put it that way. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. That's how much you're allowed to walk if you're an Orthodox Jew. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew. Anybody remember those names? Uh, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot. Yeah, zealot. Yeah, get used to different. There were all kinds of people in that crowd. And Judas, the son of James, not Judas, who was dead now. Okay? Then it goes on. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to... This is before the Holy Spirit. Along with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers, they finally got it. You know, they used to stand and mock him. Then they got it. Especially when he comes back from the dead. That kind of gets your attention. That is our brother. Holy cow. And at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. Ah, a gathering of about 120 persons were there together. An encounter came for 120 people with the significant person of the entire book of Acts. A relationship with the Spirit of God. I, um, I knew about the name. I hadn't done much looking at it. There are a lot of names in Christian history that I'll be candid. As disciples, you should make yourself aware of who they are. Uh, one of them is a gentleman named A.T. Pearson. And um, he wrote the book, George Mueller of Bristol. In fact, the title was George Mueller of Bristol and His Witness to a Prayer Hearing God. Now, now, by the way, if I say George Mueller, who knows who he is? George, I, I see that hand. Yeah, going once, going twice. Can anybody give me five? Anybody give me ten? Several people know. George Mueller was a godly man in Bristol, England, who prayed daily and never asked for a penny for God to supply the need of, of hundreds of orphans every day. And God came through continuously. Well, that's something to talk about. And so his, his biography is about, in fact, the self-biography, the dealings of the, the Lord's dealings with George Mueller is one of them. But A.T. Pearson wrote George Mueller of Bristol and is witness to a prayer hearing God. And when I looked him up on the Internet, the list of books that he has written was unbelievable. A lot about prayer and trusting the work of the Holy Spirit, by the way. There are some people who learn things way better than us. They've marched in territories we've never seen. He's one of them. He's quoted in Dr. J. Edwin Orr, one of my favorite authors who wrote The Role of Prayer and Spiritual Awakening. He wrote this from A.T. Pearson. Here's the quote. There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Can anyone tell that I'm making an appeal? That we get serious? To plead with God? Rend the heavens and come down. There's a brother named... Uh, well, let me put this picture up on it. Anybody want to know who this handsome devil is? It's my grandfather. No, it isn't. It's a... <laughs> Anybody know who he is? 
Charles Grandison Finney, the great revivalist, who, who really kind of laid every... Oh, I promised myself I was not going to use the R word today, and I just did. Did I earlier? This is the problem... The problem with ADD. I'm glad you're here, honey. It's okay. Get back on task. She's, yeah. Charles Grandison Finney preached the gospel all around up in upstate New York, areas called the burned over district, even. There can be a negative, a downside of too much of the same thing. But he writes in his lectures on. It's a renewal of the first love of Christians, resulting resulting in the awakening and conversion of sinners to God, ensuring attention to the claims of God. And he gives a list of what happens. Let me just pop these off quickly. A revival always includes conviction of sin on the part of the church. It starts there. Backslidden professors turn around. Backslidden Christians will be brought to repentance. A revival is nothing else than a new obedience of obedience. No, I'm sorry about this thing. A revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. Get this. Just as in the case of a converted sinner, the first step is a deep repentance, breaking down of heart, a getting down into the dust before God with deep humility and forsaking sin. Now, you can't do that without praying. I hate to fill you in. It's really hard to talk to God without praying. Christians will have their faith renewed. While they are in their backslidden state, they are blind to the state of sinners. Their hearts are hard as marble. The truths of the Bible only appear like a dream. Boy, have I felt like that. They admit it all to be true. Their conscience and their judgment are set to it but their faith does not see it standing out in bold relief in all the burning realities of eternity. When it happens, when they start to break, they will feel grieved that others don't love God the way they love him so much. Their love for men will be renewed. They will not only be urging them to give their hearts to God, but they will carry them to God in the arms of faith. That's praying. With strong crying and tears, beseech God to have mercy on them and save their souls from endless burnings. Revival breaks the power of the world and sin over Christians. And then what happens? The non-believers see that there's a fire going on and they can't avoid being attracted. And then the process starts in them. Am I making sense at all? So, two weeks ago, in our prayer time, I won't mention any names, Catherine, she was praying over here and started weeping. She started weeping. And by the way, I'm not talking about contriving a bunch of tears and showing off. But there was some passion revealed for lost people that our assembly would be a place of healing, a place of life, and that non-believers would be drawn in and their lives would be touched by the Spirit of God. And when she prayed like that, Number one, I said, now that's what I'm talking about. I was encouraged, and I think others of you in the room were as well. But number two, I was convicted because I have wept too little. 
I have, but too little. What really matters? That's the question. Let me read the promise to us, if I may. This is found in the third chapter of Acts. We've moved to the next thing. We have the person was the Holy Spirit. The power comes from him to turn on the lights about the holiness of God and our uncleanness. And the third thing is there's a principle here. And Acts chapter 1 talked about it. And I, I have a feeling that the wrong verse was listed in the bulletin. Did I do that wrong? I can't remember. Let me see. One twelve through 15. Strange things happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's chapter 3, verse... No, am I at the principle of the promise? Where am I? Concerted prayer. Right? The promise. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away. I've preached on this before. I don't know if we've caught it. In order that times... Did you see the plural? See the plural? By the way, this is after the day of Pentecost. This is not the same day. Repent and return. Turn back. It means it's the picture of gospel conversion. When I become a Christian, I recognize I've been living for myself. I've been living for sin. I've been worshiping idols, whatever it is. And the light comes on. I go, God's holy. He's right. He's real. And I turn around and say, I'm a mess. I'm going this way. Return. Return. Come back. Repent, return, that your sins may be wiped away in order that time after time after time after time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from ancient times. Now, that's the Jewish context. Jesus is going to come and rule. He is going to. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds. It's going to happen. All of God's people said, Amen. let it be tomorrow. That'd be great. Not this afternoon. I need my nap first. But after that, <laughs> that'd be fine by tonight. But there's a way he comes, not in the clouds, but by the Spirit. Salvation comes out of Zion. Time after time after time. Why? Loveless explained it. We get this. We get it. Here's what he says. The problem is that periods of spiritual decline occur in history because the gravity. Here's the quote. I've put this up before. We like it. Do we write it down and note it? Let's put that next verse, that next thing up. The gravity of indwelling sin keeps pulling believers first into formal religion and then into open apostasy. That's the state of the church today. Even evangelicalism can't make up their mind whether God created us male and female, for example. Can't make up your mind. First, formal religion. I'm going to just stop. Enough said. Formality. I'm doing my making the donuts, go to church, make the donuts. I'm going to keep this sermon. This might become one of my greatest hits. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. But then, apostasy. Periods of awakening alternate with these as God graciously breathes new life into his people. He doesn't owe it to us. But I have a feeling 
if the light gets lit and people press in, the Holy Spirit goes, oh, not feeling grieved. He's feeling encouraged to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Periods of awakening alternate as God graciously breathes new life into his people. Every major advance of the kingdom on earth is signaled and brought about by a general outpouring of the spirit and that has always been preceded by concerted, united prayer. I'm going to tell you what I've seen in eight years here. All my hobbies and my running and all my things are more important. Just saying what I've seen. It's more important. I have a story that I told years ago in this pulpit. It's probably been six years back, maybe seven. Like I was new and I know you were still in shock getting used to me. So I can understand why you might not remember. But when I read this story, and I'm going to read it in a minute, there was a literal gasp in the room. A literal gasp out loud. Now you all want to know what it is, but I'm not going to tell you. No, I will in a minute. I want to read something, because I already mentioned Dr. Uh, Charles Finney. And he was known for revival ministry and seeing many, many people come to faith. I mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in upstate New York and other places coming to genuine faith. And he was a man of prayer. But listen to this story from Leonard Ravenhill, who was also a, a, a big fan. Revival Praying is his book. As Moses, excuse me, as Moses had Aaron and Hur, remember that story? Moses is on the mountaintop. Aaron and Hur hold his hands up as a symbol of praying. And while his hands are held up, Israel is winning. They're winning in the battle. Boy, what a picture, right? As Moses had his Aaron and Hur, so Finney had his father Cleary and father Nash. In Bolton, England, I had an estimable, a really great privilege of being the assistant pastor to Arthur Fawcett, now Dr. Fawcett, a uh, brilliant preacher in the Church of Scotland who taught me to love books and told me of the old masters of the pulpit. I shall, I shall ever be grateful that he introduced me to the praying saints of the ages. By the way, you guys in ministry, thinking about ministry, you've got to have E.M. Bounds on your shelf, right? Preachers in prayer, right? Power in prayer. Ever heard of it? Inbounds, you gotta, gotta, you gotta, 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 gotta. Okay, and I've heard preachers make fun of them. Oh yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. As if there isn't a God who can be awakened and awaken us and act in response to the prayers of God's people. The whole Testament's full of that. So is the new. Anyway, see what I do? ADD, off I go. While ministering to him, I met an old lady, listen to this, who told me a story about Charles Finney that has challenged me over the years. Finney went to Bolton to minister. But before he began, two men knocked on the door of her humble cottage. So here's an eyewitness. Wanting lodgings. The poor woman looked amazed, for she had no extra accommodation. Finally, for about 25 cents a week, that was a long time ago. The two men, none other than fathers Nash and Cleary, rented a dark and damp cellar for the period of the Finney meetings, at least two weeks. There in that self-chosen cell, those prayer partners battled the forces of darkness. With all due credit to Mr. Finney for what was done, which was an ingathering, it was the praying men who held the ropes. 
with tears they shed, the groans they uttered are written in the book of the chronicles of the things of God. <clears throat> J. Edwin Orr made this quote in his article, The Coming Great Awakening. Whenever God is ready to do something new with his people, he sets them praying. It's the evidence that he wants to do something. Because what happens in prayer, take the very fundamental prayer lesson Jesus gave his disciples. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of a sudden that takes priority. So here's my story. Are we up against it? <laughs> Do we want to see people come to faith? Do we want to see disciples really discipled? Alive in Christ, excited that there's a God who does things? Well, we're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. So here was a story that comes out of the subject of desperate praying is what we're talking about. I think of my uh, Sanders book. I think it was J. Oswald Sanders' uh, prayer on prayer, a little article. God doesn't answer prayer. Remember I said that just to be proved a heretic? God doesn't answer prayer. He answers desperate prayer. By Richard Owen Roberts, he wrote an article on the solemn assemblies, and he says, it, has not, it doesn't have to be relegated to the past. This was 1989, so this is just 30 years ago. I don't think God fell off his throne since then. It's just 30 years. As crazy as the world is, he's not off his throne. Recently, First Baptist Church of Pagosa Springs, Colorado, was grievously affected by a divisive spirit. Two of the consentious persons, a husband and wife, were removed from membership because of their continued troublemaking activities. Can you imagine if we actually did that today? After the heart attack and the visit to the hospital. No, never mind. <clears throat> Yeah, they were removed. Rather than church discipline, oh, listen to this. Rather than church discipline, or may I add, a pastor's rebuke, bringing them to repentance for their wickedness, these persons led the way in filing three lawsuits against the church, claiming that two of them, plus 11 of their friends and relatives, everybody had to get in on the act, were the true First Baptist Church of that community. The first suit was for all the church property and bank accounts. The second suit was for $17 million in damages. <laughs> You're not worth that much. Come on. $4 million each for the husband and wife. $4 million each for their two daughters. <laughs> oh, the nerve of a bad tooth, my wife would say. Plus an additional million in family damages against the pastor, and he gives his name. The third suit was a temporary injunction against the church, seeking to prevent the members from their use of their own building and finances. COVID, man. No, anyway. So, after much prayer and consultation, the congregation determined to obey the word of God in the resolution of the matter and called for a solemn assembly. Let's pray. We've had two so far. I'm not trying to make more work for Pastor Dennis. Dennis, I don't think he's back yet, is he? Dennis, I'm making more work for you. We've had two. I think we'll need another down the road. They called for a solemn assembly. For three weeks prior to the day of assembly, extensive prayer was uttered. The fourth to second days prior to the solemn assembly were devoted to general prayer and fasting. 
The day immediately preceding the assembly was given to round-the-clock prayer with fasting. Virtually the entire congregation met for the solemn assembly itself and spent nine hours together in prayer. Fasting, corporate repentance. Three days after the solemn assembly, the four members of that family had brought suits against the church. They were all killed in the crash of a private airplane, all of them. As a direct result of divine intervention, the damage suit was dismissed. The temporary injunction was settled in favor of the church. The suit for the church property and bank accounts was dropped, and God himself crowned the faithfulness of those dear people of that congregation with a season of most blessed nearness. God's work done in God's way still triumphs. What a rotten, mean God. He's God, not you. Is there a God who can deliver and who can save and can turn the lights on? And by the way, it doesn't always have to be that intensive. I read of revivals where the pastor simply asked his people every Saturday night, pray for the next morning and every Sunday morning, pray for my preaching. And God showed up. But they took it seriously. And I was convicted when my sister prayed that morning because... I let my gas tank get empty. Hitting a wall, hitting a wall, hitting a wall, hitting a wall. And I want to thank that sister for speaking life to me in prayer because I've been weeping this week about this. And I hope someone else will as well. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm just going to say, if it's time for you to do business with God and let the Spirit start dealing with your life, I don't care about COVID. The altar is open. And we're going to have a prayer meeting later, too, and maybe it'll be more of a prayer meeting than we've had before. So I'm going to encourage you, if you want to jabber and talk to, and I love that we do that. We fellowship. We love being together. But take it out into the foyer outside so people can pray if anyone comes forward to to do business with God. I want to be his servant. I want to have no quenching of the Spirit in my life. How about you? Let's pray. Help us. Help us, Lord, because I couldn't help but think as we were talking this morning and making announcements about outreach and showing the love of Jesus that, Lord, we really do need your spirit to go in front of us or all we're going to do is hand out baby items and T-shirts and maybe food in the future and other things, and they're going to thank us and say, good social program and walk away. Lord, we want them captivated by the truth that you are the holy God and they are broken sinners and that there is one way and only one name given among men upon the earth whereby we must be saved. And so I pray in that great name, the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would help us to lay hold of you and make petition with you until you hear from heaven. Rend the heavens and come down and help us, O God, to be about your business, not in the power of our strength, but in your strength, and with that wonderful person of the Holy Spirit going before us. For we ask all of this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen and amen.